This is the Intego Mac Podcast. In this episode, as Intego observes its 20th anniversary, we'll hear about the early days of internet security software development from a special guest. Plus, Apple's new Face ID is replacing Touch ID in the newest iPhone. We'll have details on the biometric technology behind Apple's cutting-edge facial scanning system. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Hey, Josh, how are you doing today? Great. How are you doing, Kirk? I'm okay. This month, Intego is celebrating its 20th anniversary. And we wanted to talk a little bit about the early days of Intego. And we have a guest today. His name is Serge Camigny. He's a software developer. He worked with Intego in the beginning, went on to start his own business, and he came back to work with Intego again about five years ago. Serge, it's great to see you again. It's been about 15 years since I haven't been in touch with you. Great seeing you, Kirk. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, Serge, you were with Intego back in the very early days. They bought this app Rival from a French developer, and they decided to market it around the world because the Mac, even though the Mac was in, I guess we could say, dire straits back in 1997, this was before Steve Jobs brought out the iMac, which made Apple much more relevant. What can you tell us about the early days with this first antivirus, Rival? Rival was um, being maintained and developed by a French developer. And um, so at that time, um, the company only had one product in, uh, to sell, okay? Early enough in the, um, in the life of the company, um, people started asking for a firewall. And that was kind of a surprise because uh, you don't think in terms of uh, network security when, when it comes to the Mac at that time. Uh, the Mac was pretty um, limited in terms of connectivity. Um, we could connect on, on any sort of network, but the Mac wasn't exposed, as far as I can tell, to any sort of attack. And these were the early days of the internet where there weren't too many people using networking anyway. Yes, that's right. But since people were dialing up uh, using their, their phone line, um, if, if they were using the internet, then they would be just connected uh, to the internet um, directly. So they were kind of exposing the machine. That's right. But it wasn't like uh, the same level of threat that we see today. Uh, yet people wanted the firewall because I guess on, on the PC side, uh, you had uh, pretty efficient uh, firewall solutions like uh, Zone Alarm or, or others. And even for viruses and malware, it's worth pointing out, and this goes back to the 80s, that I believe the very first computer virus actually was written to, to affect Macs and not to affect Windows. But in 1997, when Intego released Rival, we had gotten to the point where Windows had a dominance and the Mac was really on the decline. True, true. The fact that the Mac was in decline um, actually helped us a lot uh, because when you have that kind of narrow market and, and you expect that market to grow, you need to set a place where you are the, you are the leader, the only, the on, the only um, uh, one creating products, security products for the Mac. And um, because the Mac wasn't quite uh, in a healthy state, most companies, uh, big companies, didn't find it uh, interesting to develop solutions for the Mac. 
and uh, that that's how Integro became actually number one on that on that market because well there was uh, very very few actors there. Yeah, Integro got in at just the right time because again Apple released the iMac in 1998 and that was the start of the ascension that we've been following for the last well 19 years. It took a couple of years, of course, for the iMac to really take off, but that did mark a, a new presence for Macs, particularly in homes and in the education market. Yes, that's right. And uh, again, uh, you, you mentioned the um, uh, the fact that uh, the first virus, uh, computer virus, was written for to target the Mac. Uh, actually, we ended up having to create our own antivirus solution because uh, Rival wasn't quite working well for us uh, because uh, you know we had to uh, constantly talk to the developer, and um, he had something else to do, and then he he somehow decided that um, he, I mean, the deal wasn't working anymore uh, as he wanted. So, and that's how uh, we started Virus Barrier because we needed to sustain this company and uh, the only way to do that was to to actually create a new product. And um, so at that time, uh, Integro had about three uh, full-time employees um, and then we brought in. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't um, there yet. That's when I, I actually joined because they wanted more um, horsepower to 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 uh, you know help creating that product. So that's 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 how uh, Virus Barrier started in V1. Um, we had about three months to create a replacement rifle, and uh, and that had to happen before the MacWorld uh, convention in New York. Um, and uh, we actually did it. Uh, and thanks to the thanks to the very very low number of uh, you know of viruses uh, targeting the Mac, well, yeah, we actually were able to make that happen. If I remember correctly, Rival, even at the beginning, sold very well, and then Virus Barrier sold very well as soon as version one came out. True. Uh, we um, at a time when uh, Rival was uh, discontinued. Uh, people who were very upset because they liked the product. They, they say, "Wow, what, what what's happening with Integro?" Uh, and um, so we had a pretty interesting guy in the marketing. He was able to to, to do something, some some kind of magic that um, um, you know helped a lot. Um, he said something like, uh, "You're gonna have a huge surprise, brand new antivirus with you know new features and." Nice UI, and indeed the, the UI was incredibly nice uh, compared to uh, to Rival. So Net Barrier came out before Virus Barrier, and as you said before, people were starting to worry about the growing network threats that they were facing. Yes, surprisingly, uh, Net Barrier be- became the flagship of the company. I don't know how that happened. Uh, people, I-, I believe, people were really uh, concerned about the privacy um, and about you know. Uh, people stealing data and stuff like that. Most of all, I think uh, the uh, the reason why NetBerry was a success is because of the uh, it was a very very easy to use firewall, very very easy to use, and uh, actually you were guided. I mean, the user was guided through any sort of step to create rules, and, and you can create like very very interesting rules. Like okay, now. Can you please block, um, I mean, I don't know, uh, port 80 while allowing the FTP in, in, incoming connection to port 223? Things like that. And in a very, very easy UI. 
And um, I figured that, well, and that was during the uh, Mac World Expo, I figured that people were actually more interested with the network activity, uh, network activity um, um, indicators. Yeah, there, there were indicators that would show your network throughput, your uploads and downloads in real time, and they would also show your accumulated activity, and you could reset it every week or every month. Right. I guess that was the main feature for non, non-tech savvy people, you know, uh, the they just wanted to see if that data was going in and out their computers. Yeah. And so the next app was Content Barrier. And this, of course, responded to the growing needs of parents who wanted to protect their children, but also schools and, and educational institutions. That's right. So Content Barrier's um, idea came um, during a brainstorming session, as we used to have at Integra at that time. By then, we had about 10 employees uh, and, and, and counting. Um, and so um, one day um, the CEO asked me, uh, well, Serge, what do you think we can do now? Um, we need to add more products to this to this company. And then I said, well, you know, I just bought that new iMac and I always see my son wandering around. I, I really want something that will, you know, block him from going to uh, funny websites. You know, let's put it that way. And um, so that's when the uh, brainstorming started. And then we uh, came out with this content barrier solution. Um, and again, uh, that was presented in San Francisco um, at, the, at the Mac World Convention. And we also had the idea of, of, of creating a bundle of the three products. So um, for, for 99 bucks, you will have uh, content barrier, the barrier and uh, and the firewall and the um, antivirus, so virus barrier, and well, people really like this as well. I mean, I I I cannot tell you. So at that time, uh, we were traveling with um, an inflatable um, tower for the Mac World uh, Convention. So if you come to the Mac World, you will see a huge green tower um, with the with integral written on it. In my article about the 20 years of Intego, I have a photo of the big plywood tower, which preceded the inflatable tower. And that stands about 20 feet above the, the expo floor. But the inflatable tower, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that one was uh, pretty, pretty funny because, first of all, there was some sort of noise around the booth because of the, uh, you know, we had to maintain the air floating, you know. And so, and, um, so we had to cover that with some music, some tech music. Sometimes we hear like... Uh, um, you know, funny uh, tech sounds. So that was funny. Um, so people started get, crowding around the booth and um, they wanted to know what, what, what is this company, you know, with uh, funny uh, people speaking English with a funny accent, you know. It was quite, a, quite a, an adventure. So we even had to hire uh, local um, actors to sort of demonstrate uh, the products. And that went very, very well. And, and Content Barrier was um, very good in filtering um, 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 porn sites, adult sites, you know. Um, and that's what people wanted. Uh, they really wanted a solution uh, where they, can, they could actually leave their kids playing with the iMac without having to worry about it. And that was working great. Um, of course, we had a few glitches in the beginning, but actually, I, I think that that's one of the, the, the products people... Um, like the you know, moms and you know uh, families liked a lot, yeah. Yes, because it's reassuring because the parents can set specific rules to make sure that their kids 
don't access types of content or they can block at certain times. All of that's become commonplace now. But on the Mac, this was really, I don't think it was the first app that did that sort of parental control, but it was certainly the most powerful app that gave this much control to, to parents. I think we were the only uh, content control company on the Mac at that time. I mean, there was zero other solution to block um, specific websites or to block a website just by analyzing its content. And we were kind of fortunate because, uh, well, um, at our time, most websites were using just regular HTTP. So you could just stream the, uh, uh, preload the, uh, the web page, analyze it, and then decide yes or no, uh, should I display this? No. So, um, but we were truly the only company doing that um, back back in back in the two, uh, early uh, two thousand. Yeah. So so the the fourth I would say cornerstone app that Intego released was Personal Backup, and that was around two thousand one. Yes, yes. Uh, so Personal Backup was the result of uh, an acquisition. So um, there was that day when um, the CEO came to me and says, uh, "Serge, we're going to acquire three products and." We want you guys to maintain those, those products and to rebrand them as Integral. And um, those products were uh, FileGuard, DiscGuard, and Personal Backup. So um, surprisingly, um, we didn't start with Personal Backup we, uh, because um, the company didn't believe that we could penetrate the backup market. There, there was a lot of uh, other solutions like SuperDuper, like um, Retrospect, who was the number one, you know. So we pretty much decided to just rebrand FileGuard and DiscGuard. Those products came with a tremendously uh, uh, high amount of new users. I I think the sole strategy that that, that was uh, happening there was that we wanted new customers, and that was kind of the easy path to that. So we just blasted those people with our copies of uh, NetBarrier and VirusBarrier, and they like it too. So... Now, personal backup is um, is a little bit uh, of a different story. Um, so we often had interns in the company. So we had a young man who came and said, well, um, I'm kind of bored here. Can you give me some real assignments? Because, you know, I, I've got skills. And indeed, the guy was very, very gifted. And his name, uh, I, don't say, I don't know if I can, I can pronounce his name here, but Francois, Francois-Marie, you yeah. remember? Yeah. He was very gifted. And so um, I went upstairs to, to, to the CEO and told him, yeah, look, uh, we might have a solution for that personal backup thing, um, but I suggest that we restart from zero because the, the code base was truly a mess. And anyway, um, so uh, François-Marie decided to, um, to take ownership of that. And uh, within three months, we had a backup solution. I heard an interesting anecdote about um, Intego's early days burning CDs and, uh, and shipping them out to customers. And I was, I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so we developers were working in the basement. Um, so remember back in, the, in those days, um, most companies were shipping the product in CDs. So we had to burn CDs and, um, and wrap them into boxes and wrap the boxes uh, into like a, a plastic, uh, you know. Uh, Drink wrap. Yeah. So, so we, had, we had that funny machine that was um, in the same basement. Um, and uh, Sandra, who was the, uh, the, the person in charge of uh, wrapping the products, 
she will make the tour of the building and says, okay, command S, command S right now, save your work, save your work. Why? Because when she starts that freaking machine, what happens is that all the powers goes off. You know? So you basically lose your work if you don't save your work that at a very specific time, she said. And yeah, so we had some, some teachable moments uh, in terms of back, backing up and uh, saving our work, yeah. I, I, I even recall... Um, so we, like I say, we had intern interns uh, at some point uh, in, in in the office, and uh, most of them, you know, didn't didn't quite often save their work. So they would just stand up, go outside, and maybe get a snack. And when they come back, well, yes, your work is gone. So uh, yeah, that, that that was quite a quite a funny moment sometimes. Yeah, that's a great story. I I love hearing about that. Okay, well, this takes us through the four cornerstone products that Intego's developed. For more about the 20 years of Intego, check out my article. There's a link in the show notes. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Great to see you again. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Kirk and Josh talk about Apple's new Face ID security features when the Intego Mac podcast continues in just about a minute. Intego is celebrating its 20-year anniversary during the month of October by offering you special 20th anniversary savings on Mac Premium Bundle X9. You can save 70%, that's right, 70% on Mac Premium Bundle X9, Intego's suite of award-winning security and utility software, including the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, Parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier. And through the month of October, you can save 70%. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the code Intego20Years at checkout. That's Intego20Years and save 70%. Enter the code Intego20Years to save 70% on Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. This special 20th anniversary savings is only available through October at Intego.com. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. As we know, Apple announced the iPhone X or iPhone 10 recently. And one of the marquee features is Face ID, which is a new way to identify yourself and log in and activate the phone, purchase things on the iTunes store, use Apple Pay. And this is a form of biometrics. Now, biometrics cover many things, including Touch ID, but there are many other technologies that can use biometrics for security. Josh, tell us about biometrics and how this is useful in security and how secure are biometrics in general? Sure. Well, it's it's really interesting that there are a lot of ways other than fingerprints and facial recognition that people can authenticate. And, and you see a lot of these things in movies and TV shows and things like that, where, where people might put a hand up to a screen uh, and it reads in their entire palm print, you know, not just their fingerprints. Um, there's there's actually retinal scanners um, and there actually have been consumer products that do that, which is kind of interesting. And uh, there, there's really a variety of other things. Um, at RSA conference this year, there was uh, a really interesting demonstration of a system that analyzed someone's gait, the way that they walked, uh, as one of many components of a, a biometric uh, authentication system. So there, there are many, many different ways that 
who you are, and that's the key there. What that's what biometrics really has to do with is who you are. What you know has something to do with your physical body that is um, being used to authenticate you. Um, and in general, there there's really quite a big variety of uh, qualities of different biometric systems. So some of them are probably not very good. Um, some of the original um, like Android fingerprint sensors were, were so bad that as soon as those products came to market, there were people who were very, very easily able to to bypass um, or to unlock a, a device without having something that even really remotely resembled an actual human pressing their finger on the device. So um, now what, what, what Apple says about Face ID is that it's significantly better than Touch ID when it comes to um, correctly identifying an individual who's unlocking a device. Well, let's talk about how Face ID is supposed to work. So Apple talked about this very specific camera that is at the top of the iPhone. And this camera is going to take two types of pictures of you. One is a standard photograph picture. The other is a projection of infrared dots and the camera can interpret the depth. So if it's projecting a dot at the tip of your nose, that is closer than the dots on your cheekbones and your eyebrows are closer than say your chin. So it can develop a 3D model of your face. Whereas I know Android had some face recognition systems early on and Samsung in particular had one that failed quite well. <laughs> it was basically a 2D system. It was just basically a photograph. The only thing I do remember, and I used this on an Android phone at one point, was that you had to actually move your face or blink your eyes or something. It wouldn't work if you were totally still. But Apple's solution is far different because they're using the 2D and the 3D. Correct. Yeah. And in fact, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, some of the very early Android facial recognition didn't even require you to blink. That was something they added later because it was so bad. You could literally just hold up a photograph of somebody and get into their phone. Um, and so then they added the blinking thing later. But um, but yeah, the the, uh, the 3D, the depth sensing uh, portion of this where they project, as you mentioned, the th there's 30,000 infrared dots. Um, so it's, it's not just, um, they're looking at a couple of points on your face. They're looking at your entire face to determine, um, whether that's really you. Um, now th there's a couple of caveats to that. Apple actually does say that if you have a, a twin or somebody who's, they put it, I think, genetically similar to you, um, perhaps a sibling that may not actually be a twin or maybe a parent that you look very much alike, it's possible that, well, there's a higher chance of a false positive. That makes me wonder. You hear sometimes about people resembling their dogs over time. I wonder if there'll be any sort of confusion <laughs> with that. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Well, one thing that Face ID will do is it will learn from your face. It's a good thing we don't do this on video. I don't shave very often. As the days of the week go by, I have more and more whiskers, and that might fool a simple 2D photographic system. Whereas Face ID is going to be learning, so every day it's going to know how much I haven't shaved, and every time I use it, it'll be adapting, it'll be developing a more complex model of my face. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how Apple's able to do that, and um, reading through their documentation, they, they indicate that as long as you kind of reset to the 
or, or, or stay really close to what the original mapping of your face looks like, then, um, then growing some facial hair is okay as long as you cut it. Now, if, if you continue growing facial hair and now you've got some enormous beard or something, then it might behave a little bit differently. It might stop working eventually. And you would just have to enroll again. Right, exactly. It would require you to, to put in your password and and then re-enroll your face. Right, so the enrollment process, we're all familiar with the way you do this with Touch ID. You get a display and you press your thumb or your finger and you see the little red things that fill up the thumbprint graphic and it after a while it's enough and it goes on to the next screen, then you have to do the edges. For Face ID, you're gonna hold the phone up and look at it and it's gonna instruct you to look a little bit to the right, to look a little bit to the left and up and down so it gets a full 3D picture of you. Obviously, if you have very long hair and cut it, or as you say, if you have a beard and cut it, it will there will be some problems. However, Apple says it's designed to work with hats, scarves, glasses, contact lenses, and many sunglasses. Right. My, my suspicion is that probably what they do is they focus on kind of the the main like or the center of your face so as long as they can they can see kind of the key facial features of your face then then they can properly authenticate you another thing that's important to point out is that it works in the dark because it's using infrared to to cast these thirty thousand dots so if you wake up at night and you want to look at your phone to see what time it is and you want to open your phone up without tapping your passcode you can hold it up and it'll see you even though you won't see anything going on Right. Yeah, that, that, that's a really cool feature. I like that. And that's uh, something that I, I think differs from other facial recognition features on devices. Um, it, it's nice that, that it can work in, in the dark without, uh, you know, blasting a light at you just so, so that your device can see what your face looks like. You, you mentioned earlier about early Android systems and the fact that they didn't work very well. And, and it's surprising that these companies didn't do the kind of testing that Apple has done. Apple says, we developed the facial matching neural networks using over a billion images, including IR, infrared, and depth images collected in studies conducted with the participants' informed consent. We worked with participants from around the world to include a representative group of people accounting for gender, age, ethnicity, and other factors. It sounds like the other companies just took six people who were in the sales office and, and took pictures of them or something. It's not surprising that Apple has done this much testing, but it's surprising that the other companies didn't do much testing. Yeah, I think that this really has a lot to do with how good Apple really is at putting out a, uh, a well thought out, a well tested product. I know that some people have kind of teased Apple a little bit about certain interface guidelines in iOS 11 that Apple uh, wasn't very consistent about with the initial release, and they'll probably fix the, some of those things. But I, I would I would say that overall, Apple is well known for being a company that pays very very close attention to to details and does not want to release a product that is garbage, and and that's a very high level of expectation that people have of Apple, and Apple knows it, and so they're it. When they're coming out with a new product that's supposed to be a flagship product with a brand new innovative technology, if they make a mistake, then they're really going to pay for it. Everybody is going to slam Apple because it's so fun to do that, right? All the you know journalists um, who are not really Apple-specific journalists, they love to slam Apple. And so any little opportunity for people to do that, and they'll take it. So Apple really had to be 
great, almost perfect with their 1.0 launch of Face ID. Well, it goes beyond that because remember, you're able to use Face ID to authenticate yourself to buy things at the iTunes store, the App Store. You're also able to use Face ID to authenticate to use apps that require Touch ID today. So my bank app requires Touch ID and considers that Touch ID is sufficient enough to prove my identity and allow me to manage my bank account. We mustn't forget that Apple is working to become a very large financial middleman with Apple Pay. And if Face ID wasn't reliable enough for that to work, then people would stop accepting Apple Pay. So I think the difference is that the other companies were providing facial recognition technology just to get into the phone, whereas Apple is providing it as a gateway to services that have to work and that, that have to be guaranteed. Right. I think the other thing, too, to, to be perfectly honest, I, I think that with Android phones, it was kind of uh, it was kind of a gimmick. They were trying to push, you know, a new and different and interesting way to, to unlock your device. And Apple really took it seriously right from the beginning. And, and as you say, because it can be used for financial transactions, it's so important for it to work correctly. Apple's documentation, which I'll link to in the show notes describing Face ID, also points out that you still need a passcode for your your iPhone, because there are times you're going to have to enter a passcode. And you see that now if you use Touch ID. If you update or restart your iPhone, you have to enter a passcode. If it hasn't been unlocked for more than 48 hours, you have to enter it. And, and there are a number of other conditions. But one thing that Apple says is Face ID makes using a longer, more complex passcode far more practical because you don't need to enter it as frequently. Now, this is true with Touch ID. I wonder if people really understand how much more secure they can make their passcode because of the reliability of these systems, because you're not asked to enter that passcode too often. If I had a 14-character passcode and I had to enter it 50 times a day, I would make a four-character passcode, wouldn't you? Well, per, yeah, perhaps. I, I'm, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who probably overdoes it a little bit, maybe on security. So I've got a, a ridiculous password. And, and yeah, every once in a while, I do have to restart my phone and I have to put in that whole password again. And, and you know, honestly, I'd rather take five or six seconds to, to type in a password than to make it so that my, my device is too easy to unlock so that if somebody looks over my shoulder, they can see me typing in four digits and easily get into to my phone if they happen to pick it up later. So Face ID is also interesting for the future. Apple introduced the MacBook Pro last year with Touch ID, and it's the only Mac that has Touch ID. Now, uh, Touch ID is great, uh, obviously, for authenticating for the device, but also for authenticating on websites the same way that you would do on an iPhone or an iPad and for authenticating with Apple Pay. Don't forget that Apple really is counting on Apple Pay to be a, a money-making venture in the future. But with Face ID, Apple could easily integrate this technology into all their computers, laptops, iMacs, everything. It's just the need to have a special type of camera and a special chip, which is called the Secure Enclave, but they don't need that touch sensor anyplace. I'm sitting in front of a 27-inch iMac right now, and I'm thinking, if they put a Touch ID sensor on this iMac, where would they put it? On the Apple logo that's on the bottom? Any place that they would put it would be unbalanced in terms of design. And if they put that camera in, it's just, it's invisible. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I suspect that it probably, Face ID is probably something that will be added to Apple's entire product line eventually. 
at least if it goes well, <laughs> if there are no big you know concerns and questions that people have about it. But um, yeah, m- my guess is that probably they'll want to keep it close to where the the front facing camera is on current devices. So the one product in their line that immediately comes to mind is Mac mini, which does not have a display on it at all. And you can hide it under your desk or wherever that would be the, the, the one product that, um, they probably wouldn't really be able to integrate face ID, but, um, but I can, I can definitely foresee that being something that Apple may integrate into their entire product line. To be fair, they haven't updated the Mac mini in more than three years. So it's very possible that it won't last very long. One thing that's good about Touch ID is that you can have more than one person enrolled on a device. So I could have my partner set her fingerprint to open my iPhone. Do we know if you can do that with Face ID? Apple hasn't hasn't really said anything about this. And I suspect that this workaround, this Touch ID thing where you can enroll um, a spouse or partner's fingerprints on your device is kind of something that Apple didn't really intend for you to do necessarily. And so it's just kind of something that people have done. Oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll put, you know, these fingers on there and then you can also add these fingers. And that way we'll both be able to unlock this device. And that's a very common thing that people share a device, an iPad, for example, or maybe your spouse does want you to be able to get into their, their iPhone every, every once in a while. It could be useful, for example, like when you're driving and, oh, darn, my screen went off. Can you pull up the maps application again? Where touch ID differs from face ID is that as far as Apple has told us or indicated so far, you can really only enroll one face in face ID. And so people who are used to using touch ID and sharing a device, it's probably not going to work that that way anymore. You're going to have to know that whole passcode in order to unlock someone else's device, um, which is a little bit of an inconvenience. You'll still be able to do it, but just not as quickly. Right, exactly. So, so there, there's still ways around that. You can still share a device, but only one person is going to be able to un- unlock the device with their face. Um, and that may be something that, uh, that Apple adds in later, if that's something that a lot of people are really re- requesting. Um, my suspicion, though, is that Apple's probably going to keep it to one person. We'll know a little bit more about this when the iPhone X or iPhone 10 is released. We still don't know exactly when it's going to ship. Sometime in November is what Apple's saying. So until then, thanks, Josh. All right. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.